welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Okay, Aoife, welcome to Tuesday Night Book Club number 12, I believe. And we're really looking forward to hearing your uh, summary of, of the book on leadership and self-deception. Over to you. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Rob, for having me here. I thought it might be interesting to share a little bit about the background, about how I found out about this book to begin with. And that was from my own podcast. I had a, a guest on speaking about his book. And he mentioned, happened to mention this book called Leadership and Self-Deception. I made a note of it. And I get a lot of my books these days from an app called Borrowbox. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but it's super. It's, it allows you to borrow ebooks and audiobooks from your local library um, straight onto your phone or your, your iPad or whatever. So it's really, it's really, really handy. So I managed to find an audio copy of this book. I started listening to it and I just couldn't stop listening. I listened to about half, half the book in one go. So the first like three hours of the book or something like that. And I just thought it was phenomenal. And I, it's kind of driving me to tell loads of other people about it as well. So when you asked what book I wanted to speak about, it was kind of, for me, it was kind of no question. I have to have to share information about this. Um, so just in terms of the kind of book, it's, it's based on a fable. And I didn't realize that at the time. So it's told in a story format where the main character, he has a meeting with his boss and it's all fiction. It's based, you know, it's kind of, you see they're trying to teach them lessons as they go through. So you can kind of see the lessons and you can, you can see where the main character is coming from and things are explained as you go along. Um, the, the entire premise for it is this concept of being in the box or out of the box. So leadership and self-deception centers around being in the box. So if you're deceiving yourself, you are in the box. And they call it the root or anything to do with it is kind of the root of all personal and organizational issues, which I thought was quite interesting as well. Um, so the first section talks about self-deception and the box. And the idea of self-deception is that you don't know that you have a problem. You're deceiving yourself about the issues to hand you know you're kind of placing blame externally and um, putting things um you know it's it's not my fault um you treat so i'm just gonna kind of i've got some notes here to refer to um you treat people as objects essentially so you are the center of your own universe and other people who are within your network or within your um realm are objects that serve a purpose to you and you don't treat other people like humans. Um, one really powerful example that they shared of how this can show up was the example of, if you imagine, and th this was the direct example that they used in the book. So Lou, one of the main guys, was he was, um, or Bud was one of, one of the main guys in it. He was taking a trip on an airplane and he sat down and he took his place and he was really lucky to get a window seat. And he placed his bag on the seat beside him so that no one else could take that seat. So he just kind of minded his own business and he did everything in his power so that no one else could have the seat beside him because he didn't want anyone else to take that seat. And I don't know about any of you guys, but for me, that was definitely so relatable, whether it's on an airplane, whether it's on a bus or something, you you don't want people to come and sit beside you. And that example was juxtaposed with another example where Bud and his wife were traveling together on an airplane on a separate occasion. And the example that they use here was that there was some sort of mix up with the tickets and they ended up being seated separately. And a very kind lady from the back said that there was a seat beside her and she was happy to take one of their seats so that they could both sit there together. So on the one hand, you have someone who is treating people like objects, who is avoiding social contact and doesn't really want to interact with people and treating their needs as below his own personal needs. 
And on the other hand, you have this lady who is seeing that there's an opportunity to help other fellow human beings and be a nice person generally. And she steps in and, and does this. So I thought those two examples were a really powerful example of the difference between being in the box and being out of the box. So being in the box is being inward focused. You're focusing on yourself and your own needs and being out of the box is treating other people like human beings, treating other people and understanding their needs and, um, and, and kind of managing that. Um, one of the, the kind of quotes from it was the people respond to how we're feeling about them on the inside. So it's an intuition. Even if you say something, people intuitively know whether you mean it or whether you don't mean it. So you might say something one way, but actually you're treating them as if they're an object and therefore it automatically becomes this, um, you know, you're, you're treating me as if you're in the box. And I'm going to use that word in the box a lot. It is used, it's, you know, it's their kind of jargon that they use in the book as well. The next section goes on to talk about how we get inside the box and how we get inside the box is through this act of, they call it self-betrayal. And the example that they use for that in the story is where Bud and his wife are woken up in the middle of the night to their baby crying. And Bud thinks to himself, I should get up and tend to the baby. The baby is crying. And it's it's any situation where you know what you should do and you, you feel this sort of sense of obligation as to how you should treat someone else and how you should react. But actually, um, you might betray yourself and do something else instead. So how we get inside the box, there's four steps and it's an act contrary to what I believe I should do for another. And that is an act of self-betrayal. So you feel I should do this thing. I should do something for someone else because that's what a, a human being would do who's treating other people like humans. But actually I choose to do something else instead. So that's the kind of the first step. And the second step then is when I betray myself, I begin to see the world in a way that justifies my self-betrayal. So you surround yourself with people who kind of justify your own position in that and your beliefs become reinforced about yourself and, and how you're treating other people. Um, the third step then is my view of reality becomes distorted. And then the fourth step is when I betray myself, I enter the box. So this basically you reinforce the beliefs. So you betray yourself and that means that you um, you start to justify the behavior that you've taken and, and you start kind of saying to yourself, um, I'll, give, I'll give an example. So at the weekend, a friend of mine said that she was going to text me and we would have a call and we'd, we'd have a catch up on Zoom. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for this call uh, or this text to say that we were going to have a call and it never came. But that, I kind of almost expected that because I, I wasn't sure whether she was going to text at all. And she didn't. So suddenly she, she becomes this horrible person who never texted me and we never had the call. And I become right in my justification of believing that she wasn't going to text to begin with. Does that, does that sort of make sense? So you're kind of, you're justifying your own feelings and you're justifying your own beliefs about someone. Um, the other thing that we do then is that we inflate other people's faults. We minimize our own faults. So in the example, uh, it sort of spiraled in this, this example that they shared about the um, about waking up for the baby. So he was like, oh, and my wife is lazy and, you know, she never does this. And and he's justifying himself saying, well, I'm, I, I'm right to not 
want to get up. I have a, an early meeting tomorrow morning. And if I don't get up, then, or if I do get up, I'm going to be tired. And so he's reinforcing his own behaviors within himself. And he's playing down his, his wife's and he's kind of ex- exacerbating her faults as well, minimizing his own. Um, we tend to inflate the value of things that justify our self-betrayal. So it's kind of the justification cycle here. We inflate our own virtue and then we place the blame on other people. Um, and, you know, throughout the book, they talk about this type of behavior being rife in organizations. But the interesting thing is it's applicable not only to our personal lives, but, but to organizations as well. So it's kind of a almost a dual approach. But specifically within organizations, they talk about, you know, if something goes wrong and you blame other people, essentially. So you are um, someone else said that they would do something and then they they get the blame for it. And one of the examples they used in the book was from kind of very early stage career where Lou, who was who was kind of the, the founder of this, if you like, he had a situation where he um, he messed up on some projects. So he was a lawyer and he was doing some research and, um, you know, he was there. Actually, there was a couple of different examples, but this one example was he made a mistake. He, he didn't look at something that he was supposed to have looked at. So in these law books, they have inserts because the law changes and gets updated and he hadn't checked that. So technically speaking, he was at fault. But when it came to explaining to like the the leader on whatever this team was, his supervisor said, actually, that's my fault. I'm going to take responsibility for that because usually I check in with people and um, usually I check in and I see how things are and I kind of explain what's going on and what they need to do in order to fulfill their job. But I didn't do that this time. So that lady took full responsibility for that. And that sort of changed his outlook. And he was thinking, well, you know, I, I see it as my fault, but she saw it, she kind of took responsibility for her part in it as well. And it just showed the, the difference between the expectations of like, you would expect her to say, well, no, actually that guy totally messed up and it's his fault and lay the blame on him. Whereas she was actually taking full responsibility for what she, her part in it and what she had done. And typically in organizations, what you'll find is that the blame tends to be placed externally. So whether it is another department or another person or another team member, something like that, um, that that's kind of tends to be what happens. The, the, the key thing about self-deception is that it can sabotage us without us knowing. So as time goes on, these beliefs and these behaviors become ingrained And we either surround ourselves with people who reinforce those beliefs. So, you know, if you can say stuff about other people and um, then you're justified in the behavior that you have towards them because other people are reinforcing those beliefs as well. They've had similar experiences. And then you you feel like you're justified in, in how you behave and the things that you say. And one of the things they say in the book, is that over time certain boxes become characteristics a characteristic of me and I carry them with me so essentially what I took from that is that they become your character traits that that is something that you do and it's it's almost becomes automatic you do it without thinking maybe it's a subconscious thing that's going on as well another interesting point is that by being in the box we provoke others to be in the box too. And again, what I took from that is it's a blame game. So you're blaming other people and they're sort of blaming you and you're not looking, you're not showing empathy. You're not looking at things from their perspective. You're focusing solely on on what they did wrong and you're not looking internally to see what responsibility you can take and how you could have done things differently. Um, And this in turn means that we invite mutual mistreatment and give reason for each other to stay in our boxes. So if you have this expectation that that person is going to misbehave, 
then you will mistreat them and in return they will mistreat you and it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy then. Um, one of the interesting examples that they used in the book was the uh, there was a lady, um, the CEO of the organization who came in at one stage and, and kind of got involved in the conversation. And she was saying how her son had been really been, he'd been misbehaving a lot and he wanted to borrow the car and she really didn't want him to borrow the car. So when he asked, she said, okay, you can borrow the car but on one condition. And the condition is that you need to be back by 10.30 p.m. with the car. And she assumed that he was going to say, there's no way I'm going to be back by 10, so I'm going to leave it. Thanks very much. Um, but he didn't. He said, yeah, great, you know, I'll, I'll take the car out. And the entire evening, she was just fixated with this idea that he was going to break that agreement and he was going to come home late and he wasn't going to honor the agreement. And this, she had this expectation for the entire, you know, it ruined her evening because she was thinking about it the whole time, thinking, oh, I'm going to be so angry when he comes home late. And, you know, it really got her worked up quite a lot. And then he arrived home at 10.29. And so what you'd imagine is in a normal scenario, what she might do is say, oh, you know, thanks so much. You got home in time. You've honored our agreement. I really, really appreciate that. But because she was so worked up about this whole scenario already, she turned around and said, oh, well, you know, 10.29, you couldn't have left any later, could you? You know, made some sort of snarky comment to him. And it just shows how we have these certain expectations of other people that we place on them. And and I mean, expectations in, in a bad way. So she expected him to come home late. She expected him to not honor their agreement. And then we kind of work ourselves up about this situation. Um, so this ties in with, again, with the, the idea of being self-focused and not results-focused. And it invites lack of commitment, engagement, and motivation. And this is especially in the workplace. So if we're so focused on protecting our own territory, protecting our own turf and not taking responsibility, not taking blame when things go wrong, we're more focused on ourselves and the perception that we have within an organization. But actually if we're focusing on ourselves, then we're not focusing on the results that that organization is trying to achieve. Does that, does that make sense? Does that resonate? Um, and throughout the book, they kind of, they weave in these little examples where there's conversations with other people in the organization. And the, the book starts with this, conversation where basically um the the main protagonist in it he says that he basically is given out because someone someone rubbed out all his working someone used a conference room that they weren't supposed to use that he's kind of has exclusive access to and they they wiped out all of his workings on the whiteboard and he got really angry and he started lashing out and blaming people and when, when he started learning about being out of the box and being in the box, he came back to the realization and he went to apologize. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I should have explained or I should have put a note there or I shouldn't have just lashed out at you like that. I should consider that you might have needed to use that conference room for a legitimate reason and you didn't just go in there deliberately to delete all of, all of the things that I've been working on. Um, so it's really about, you know, kind of coming together and focusing on what the business is trying to achieve. The third section then talks about how to get outside of the box. And they go through a few different scenarios with this in that they talk about, they go through different, different ways that might get us out of the box. So the first one is trying to change others. And then they kind of conclude that with each one of these steps is not, 
a way to get out of the box. So by trying to change others, that's not a way to get out of the box because you're trying to change other people's behavior, not taking responsibility for your own behavior. Doing my best to cope with others. So just kind of putting up with other people and not really saying anything and not not standing up. And number three is leaving then. Number four is communicating. Number five is implementing new skills or techniques. And number six is changing my behavior. So the last three, like the communicating, the implementing new skills or techniques and the changing my behavior, you would think or you would assume that that is the way to get out of the box, that if you do something to change yourself. But really, the only way to get out of the box is for a desire to be out of the box. And that means that you have to have an awareness, first of all, that you are in the box. And by getting out of the box, um, you just need to want to treat other people like humans, to understand what their needs are, to take responsibility for your part that you play in it. And they talk about the box as being a metaphor for resisting others and resisting honoring other others as people. And they have hopes and needs and worries of their own. Um, so I have some more. Really interesting section at the end as well, where they talk about the different things. So the book doesn't have an author as such. So the author of the book is the Arbinger Institute. And it's, so it's it's an institute and it's I think it's the first time they've ever done that where they've taken an institute as the author of a book as opposed to a specific person. I thought that was interesting in itself that they did that. And they they talk about a mindset for change and how to actually change people or how how can people change. And quite an interesting thing was that Instead of saying, the way they describe it is, is a mindset change rather than, I, I can't remember the other word that they used in the book because they basically said, that sounds really hard. It sounds too hard. It sounds like you have to change yourself. Whereas a mindset change sounds like it's much easier to do. And they have a way to measure these different things. I'll just read them out here. Um, so they have a measurement tool that measures these types of things and looks for it within within ourselves or we can have a look at a team-based or or department-based or organization-based. So within mindset, they can measure things like awareness, helpfulness, accountability, alignment, collaboration, self-correction, coordination, inclusivity, generosity, transparency, results focus, openness, appreciation, recognition, empowerment, initiative, engagement, and safety. And within this tool, then people can rate themselves compared with others. And one of the really interesting things that came out from this kind of the appendix section within the book was this concept of horizontal alignment. So that's knowing the objectives, the needs, the challenges of people who are lateral to you in an organization. And it, so most people are aware of what their boss is trying to achieve and you're kind of feeding into that to a degree. Whereas at the other side, most people don't know what their peers, let's say, on a different department don't really care what a different department because they're, they're competing for resources. But if you understand more about what those people are, who are lateral to you are trying to achieve then collectively as an organization, you can perform better. Um, they mentioned specifically that it can reduce competing objectives and working in silos. So if people are working in silos, they're not working collaboratively and they're not working for the greater good of the entire organization. Um, they mention ways of being in the world and the two primary ways of being are in the box or out of the box and 
in the box is this inward focus and out of the box is an outward focus. And they do have an, a kind of a follow-on book to this called The Outward Mindset. So I've, I've uh, reserved that from Box. So I'm looking forward to, to getting stuck into that as well. Um, and yeah, it must have been this ways of being actually. So changing your way of being sounds like something really difficult, whereas changing your mindset sounds much easier. So um, I think that's the, the terminology that they actually used in it. Um, they gave some examples as well of how you can use these tools so uh, there was five examples that they shared the first one was around hiring so you can use this for screening you can require potential hires to read and then discuss what they learned about themselves from the book to gauge whether or not people are willing to take responsibility for their own actions, to work collaboratively, things like that, and kind of and get involved. They said they can use it for leadership and team building. So under, getting a better understanding of how people interact or taking responsibility because within this fictional organization, and as I said, it wasn't until about halfway through that I discovered that it was actually a fictional organization that they were talking about, that everyone is required to do this training. And because everyone goes through this training, they know the jargon, they know they know the behavior that is expected of them, and they know that they are supposed to be taking full responsibility for their they play and to treat other people like they have needs and that they're human beings as well. Number three then is conflict resolution because they say that conflict is arises from thought that something is someone else's fault. So if you're bringing two people together who are in conflict and they, they each think, well, that's the other person's fault, it's about moving away from that mindset and treating people as if they, you know, I suppose looking at other people's perspectives and thinking about, well, what, what is it that they need? What is it that they are trying to achieve? What are their hopes and desires as well? And trying to find some common ground that way. That that reminded me of a, another book, actually, of Getting to Yes. And I'd love to, to read that again, because um, that's a, kind of one of the tools within that, within the no- negotiation is, is finding that common ground and having a look at well, what do we both want to achieve out of this. And it's looking at the objectives of what it is that you want to achieve and what do you want to walk away with. So you, want, you both want to walk away with an agreement. Okay, well, let's start there and, and take it from there. Um, so that's another book worth checking out if you haven't read it already. They talked about having ongoing training for leaders. So training leaders as if they were graduates and, and keeping up to speed with, you know, reiterating the key points from this book for leaders. And the important things to take away from that then is about cooperation. You know, it's not a case of you read this book and you can instantly make a change. It's about recognizing current patterns and behaviors that you have and honing in on those. And and I suppose just being aware and recognizing those as they happen. And when they, um, yeah, so... I suppose it's a, it's a lifelong mission. They even the people who were very experienced at doing it in the book. Um, so even the people who who were getting, who, sorry, even people who who had very a, a good bit of experience of doing it, they were still working on it themselves. But it is a case of just recognizing it and knowing knowing what the red flags were and 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 doing something about it. Um, another area that they talked about was orienting people so uh, to how they will be required to focus on results, and that's overall business results as opposed to individual results. So, how to be how do people come together collectively to work as a team? And one thing that was kind of it was a little bit cheeky, I thought, but but I, interesting nonetheless. People will learn what they are willing to learn. I never really thought about that. So if people are not willing to learn this, then they're not willing to learn it. And, and that's just kind of it. Um, 
they talked about holding ourselves accountable and it raises our ability to to hold ourselves accountable. And I suppose my question on that was, can you, like if you're not used to holding yourself accountable, can you, is that something that you can learn? Um, yeah, and I suppose I'll leave it there and, and put that question out. Do you think that you can learn how to be more accountable to yourself or do you need to be accountable to other people? Nice one, Aoife. Very well read through. Lots of um, interesting stuff is uh, for everybody coming up here. I know um, some interesting stuff for me. <clears throat> I won't answer the question just yet, but I had a question just around the in, in the box. Do they ever say it's good to be in the box? Do they ever talk about that being a, a, an okay thing to do or a, or a positive thing? No. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in Quite simply, no, they don't. They don't say that. They Or... At the very, at the very most, they say if that's how you want to live, that's how you want to live, and it's kind of live and let live. But but it's certainly they're they're very much um, advocating getting out of the box, and that's how you can improve business performance. That how that's how you can improve personal relationships. That's how you can improve uh, your your own personal development. Mm. So there's no upside to, to the living in the box effectively because uh, just <laughs> i think living in the box tends to be living in ignorance you know it's you don't you don't if you're in the box you don't know that you have a problem but yeah. once you become aware that and you are your own biggest problem I think once you become aware of that, then mm -hmm. there's there's kind of no going back and, and you want to exclusively live outside the box, I suppose. Hmm. Can I just take a, a, a sideways look at what Rob just said there? I was looking yeah. at the Arbinger Institute website while you were talking. And uh, if I was the head of a large organization and I wanted my employees to kind of toe the line and think about the business rather than themselves and maybe sacrifice themselves to the business. This looks like the kind of institute I would fund. And this kind of sounds like the kind of book I would promote amongst my employees. <laughs> Are you saying if you were the leader of the Arbinger Institute, then you would be telling everyone no, about no, no. it? No, no, If I was the leader around. of uh, GE or, okay. or, or, uh, Mitsubishi or something, a big organization yeah. with thousands of employees, and I wanted people to maybe not be individuals, but to be group, group, you know, followers. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, I see what I, you're saying. Yeah. I would fund this this institute. This guy, what's his name, Doctor Warner, and his beliefs. They they would kind of support my my group think. Uh, <laughs> my you know my. Uh, my plan. <laughs> so, do you do you think that it's more of a group think thing, focusing on results and things like that? There's no room for individual thought. Is that that kind of what you're I getting I think, at? I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure, Rob. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's like it's discouraging individual thought. My question was to provoke more than you know. I wanted to hear what was coming out of the book. But obviously, hmm. they've come up with a black and white scenario effectively it's either you know you're in the box or you're out of the box there's no gray there's no balance and it's interesting just on the example you said at the start about the airplane or the or the, the bus right if i was on a bus on my own i would i would put a bag on the seat beside me because i i'd like that little bit of extra space but if somebody came down if two people were in front of me or they weren't and i saw that i would happily mm. give up my seat so yeah. for me, it wouldn't be, it's kind of a bit of both in that respect, because I like my yeah. own space, but yeah. but if I saw others doing it, I wouldn't I'd automatically, you know, offer it up. So that, that was just my I kind think, of take on that. Example. Yeah, I think it's not as black and white as you might think in in the sense that you it's a lifelong journey. And once you're aware of it, you can catch your behaviors, but it doesn't mean that you're going to always do, quote unquote, the right thing. So it's more this this case of there is in the box and there's out of the box, but oftentimes we are still operating in the box most of the time. It's only when we catch ourselves and we, we realize our behavior that that we become aware of it and we can do something about it. Mm. 
I, my last comment. That's I'll, sort I'll, of where I'll, it comes in a bit grey. Yeah. The, the, the thing that came up for me as well, just you were talking about, like this concept of locus of control and an internal and an external locus. There's, there are similar parallels to it in some ways that, that I kind of sensed mm. as you were talking through it. Um, well, I suppose the, the locus of control for me is always internal because we have we control ourselves but if 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 you're kind of talking about the um not not necessarily the locus control but like the the blame if you like so if you're tend to blame externally like oh that's because of that person didn't do that and that's why I can't do this um or this this you know my situation is prohibiting me from doing something that you're putting the the blame externally is that is that sort of what you're getting at rob in a way it's kind of almost the inverse of locus of control like the in the box you're blaming almost everybody else whereas yeah so that's kind of the external locus but where you're outside the box you're you're more internal focused and figuring yeah. your own self out and, and absolutely yeah. awareness is kind of um is key to that so no just just interesting kind of things that pop into the brain during it yeah so. yeah um what did people think generally was was the book what you expected based on the description or based on the, on the title? It depends what kind of frame you put in it. Like, so I, I very much an organizational context there, but I think Jesus, it has a broader life message there. And like, I think a, a point that kind of resonated with me just towards the end was about actually, you kind of have to be open to this stuff, you know, as in, you know, you won't learn it unless you're open to learning it. Like, and you know, a lot of people have an identity build up and a narrative and a story built up almost to protect themselves, almost to keep themselves safe, to give them some sense of self-worth. Mm. And to deconstruct that, in some instances, could be really, really dangerous. Yeah. So, so to actually, to, to, to point the finger of the blame is really yeah. kind of a self-preservation response yeah. rather than being able to point it inwards and go, actually, I'm the problem. Like, yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I would have two kind of counterpoints to that. So on the one hand, I totally get what you say. It it does. It's it's built around someone's identity. And if their identity is built around, this is the kind of person I am. And it's always other people's faults. And, um, you know, if they're not willing to take on feedback and et cetera, et cetera. Like they did have an example in the book of this gentleman who he had been at this organization for years. And again, this wasn't part of the story. This was part of the appendix afterwards. Um, And he'd been there for like 35 years. And I think eventually he was being managed by someone who was younger than his son or something. And he was, he was just sort of like, listen, enough of this. And his former manager, like no one would have a conversation with him. And his former manager handed him the book. And when he read the book, he was like, Oh, so what you're saying is it's all my fault kind of thing. Um, Now that has, Good points and bad points. So the bad point is, oh, holy, <laughs> holy shit, it's all my fault. Uh, on the other hand, that's great news because I can do something about it. If it's if the responsibility lies with me, then I can make that change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I just think, I think it'll be a longer journey for some more than others. <laughs> Very like- good point, Deck. yes. <laughs> yeah. But then is that, are you, is that like a judgment then of other people? So it's like, it's, it's about bringing it back to ourselves and then focusing on ourselves. Totally. Like, you know, I fully believe in people's ability to develop that self-awareness. Yeah. You know, depending on how hardwired that narrative and identity built, the longer it'll take to to unravel it. Mm. Well, absolutely, I fully agree in terms of the destination. We're, we're absolutely aligned on that. <laughs> Anyone else want to jump in about the the title? Um, because the title is it's quite provoking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, isn't self deception? Uh, I'm just trying to see the positives in being in the box. Like the self deception is, uh, you know, fake it till you make it, and uh, you know, I remember the, that old guy that used to trained the dogs what was his name the Caesar Milan it's just stuck in my head I used to watch that show a lot years ago and, uh, <laughs> I don't know it, that show no he used to go in and he'd, he'd take care of dogs he was a Hispanic guy in Los Angeles and he'd train dogs who were troublesome right especially aggressive dogs uh, or dogs that were in trouble and he would 
lift up their tail, literally, with his fist, uh, and he or he would tie their tail up. Like he had this contraption that would tie the tail up. And it was one of these things that, you know, if your tail is up, you'll feel better. It, it was he, he just turned everything around. You know, it's like if you smile, you will feel happier mm. by smiling because yeah. you're, you're triggering all these uh, messages that I must be OK because I'm smiling, you know, so um, <laughs> I'm not losing my train of thought now. My, my point was, um, you know, you're in the box. Self-deception is probably to some people because they need to get, you know, uh, get to a point by pretending for long enough to get there or for getting the confidence, you know, to pretend they have the confidence. And then they get to the point, you know, and they realize, oh, I can do it. It's more it's more the case that you you don't have the awareness that any problems that exist start with you and you need to take responsibility and step up more than like you're deceiving yourself about your own abilities or, or anything like that. It's more that like taking responsibility for for being aware and not blaming other people. And that's like if that message is received, that's hugely empowering. Yeah, you don't have to wait for the world to write itself. Like that's exactly it, Jack. Yeah, that's exactly it. That you don't have to, you don't have to wait for other people. You know, you don't have to expect that other people like why can't they be good as me? Why can't they do stuff the way I told them to do it? You know, it's, it's you need to just take back responsibility for what you bring to the table and, you know, and, and I suppose establish boundaries and be like, this is where I'm responsible for it and this is where you're responsible for it. It's funny because like by not doing that, the message you're giving out to the world is if everybody could just be like me, there'd be no problems. <laughs> like, <laughs> and if you think about maybe think that myself included on occasion you know (laughs) if people could just be more like me then we could all just get along (laughs) although sometimes i think no that definitely wouldn't be the case (laughs) there'd be a bit of a clash there (laughs) me against me any thoughts at all sarah yeah i actually um i watched this uh, reality TV show called Survivor and it's where people are put on a desert island you might remember it from 20 years ago it's still actually on and I'm a, one of their super fans but it's 20 people on a desert island and it's a game of strategy and they have to vote each other out and one of the things that has been very obvious is you've got to make alliances to survive in this game but then you've got to lie to people and vote them out And what you find is when a player is about to vote another player out and break an alliance or break trust, they do what this book talks about. In order to do that negative behavior, they make up stories about how that person was going to break trust with them in the first place. So they have to paint a picture about the person in a negative light in order to have that confidence to do that thing that's so against who they are as people. Mm. And it's it's been really fascinating to to watch that on the TV show, which I love. Um, but also that's a huge point here in, in the book that you talked about was mm-hmm. when you do something that's maybe not in line with your personal values, yeah. you have to exaggerate someone else's faults or make it justifiable, your behavior yeah. justifiable in some way. Totally, yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's really interesting because you can see it. Obviously, I watch this TV show, I can see it happening. But how is it happening maybe in my own blind spots or how is it happening for us? Maybe in a lesser way, but how are we justifying maybe some of our behavior um, or the pictures we're painting of other people? So it's very interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I wanted to share that example. Like it's it's a personal example just from the weekend where I was like, well, you know, of course she wasn't going to text me anyway and like putting the blame on her and um you know, that's me not taking responsibility. And she did, she ended up texting on, on Monday, actually, as it happens and saying that she was actually really sick the previous day. And that's why she hadn't been in touch and we should meet up another time. Um, but when I have that expectation that, oh, well, you know, she's not a good friend and she wasn't going to text me anyway, then yep. it becomes almost this self-fulfilling prophecy that she knows intuitively that I, that's what I'm thinking. And therefore she's reacting on, on that versus reacting on, you know, so if you treat someone like they're in the box, then they're going to treat you back in exactly that same way. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. Any other thoughts or questions? Like, I mean, did you think 
Did you think it's something that you might read yourselves? Do you think that it's an interesting concept, an interesting book? Do you think you could apply it in an organization or in your own personal life? I think I'm definitely going to check out Borrow Box as well. That's going to come yeah. in handy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, like I'm seeing very little written about, you see everything written about self-confidence, self-belief, self-efficacy, the positives of self, right? But very mm. little about the negatives of self or, or the things yeah. that are destructing ourselves um, and and like betr- self-betrayal and self-deception is maybe it's not, we're not looking for them. They're not popularized, right? Or they're not explained in ways. Um, so from that point of view, it's really been eye-opening and and certainly something that would be interesting to, to kind of dive into a little bit because, you know, the antidote of it is self-awareness i guess yeah. and and kind of playing them off each other from that respect um is definitely something to to dig into because i'm thinking of you know what is the opposite of self-deception what is the opposite of self-betrayal I, I, what is the opposite of it mm-hmm. yeah self-deception would for me it's um it is that it is a level of self-awareness but it's and self-betrayal like they're kind of those two are interlinked and I think it's this piece of self-awareness like you were saying Rob but also just treating people as you would wish to be treated yourself mm-hmm. you know and if you're aware like the the example of the crying baby I know I should get up and tend to the baby but actually I'm looking after my own interest because I know I have an early meeting and I don't want to mm. versus my wife has had a a long hard day she's the one who usually gets up maybe I should take my turn and do it this time I know that I should do that and it's this and you know it ties in with what Sarah was saying it is this should thing comes from your own personal values and what you think is the right thing to do um and for for each person that will be different but you know what you would like to happen in that situation And if you go against that, then you go into this kind of almost spiral and then it turns into you you repeat it over and over and it it becomes your character trait, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm. Yeah, Maybe as Rob was saying there, it depends on the person because, uh, you know, someone that needs a bit of self-belief might benefit from that self-empowerment. And then, you know, the other end of the spectrum is a narcissist or a psychopath who who doesn't need that, you know, and this might be the book for them. So <laughs> it depends who you're, where, you're, where your starting point is. I'm not sure a narcissist would even pick that book up. Yeah. Christmas <laughs> present. Christmas present. <laughs> they know Here, everything already anyway. They don't need to read a book. So. I mean, we're, you know, be, before we started recording myself and Jack, we're talking about that, like it, that it is that kind of thing where you want to hand, you want to hand that book to someone else, don't you? And it's, it's just that, that here, this is a book I think you should read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You buy it for a Christmas present for all, all those those self-deception folks in your life. Uh, it would be. Uh, but, it, but it does start with, you know, looking inward and, and uh, really understanding yourself and, and taking responsibility for yourself. And, you know, there, there was a bit of conflict within the book where it was like, but what if someone else is in the box? So like, what then? And it's like, you don't control other people. You just focus on yourself and you you do things the way you do things. And that there, there was some bits that were difficult to understand and, and in it as well, like the, the main guy in it, I, his name escapes me at the moment, but he went home and he tried to explain to his wife. I thought this was very clever on their part. He went home to try and explain to his wife what being in the box meant and out of the box. And as I was talking, I was like getting kind of tied up with in the box, out of the box. And am I explaining it correctly? But he, in the book, he was trying to explain it to her and he couldn't really explain it to her. And I was like, well, this is, this is one reason to to hire the Arbinger Institute to come into your organization, because just by reading the book, you're not going to be able to do it justice and explain it. So you need to get them in to do their testing and to, to do their training and stuff like that in your organization, if that's your plan, um, to make those changes. So I thought that was an, you know, an interesting tactic on their part within the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely interesting. Magic. 
Thank you. Yeah, great, Aoife. Thanks a million for doing it. I know we had this one in the can for planned for a while. Great to have you along. Um, hopefully, you'll come back again. And uh, and yeah, we I think we're we're up to the hour. Looking forward to sharing it. Any other last parting comments or thoughts? I think the 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 message is in the media. The fact that there's no one author. <laughs> that kind of that kind of tells the whole story. But they all refuse to put their name on it. <laughs> no, it's, it's a book by committee. <laughs> mm, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, just the last part. You, you mentioned it was a fable, and I suppose the other kind of book. Do you ever read the Phoenix Project? Anyone ever read that? John, you might have read that. No, as no, an engineer, no. it's it's a, it's a similar fable, but it's about. Um, I think when I was in my PMO project management kind of um, days, it was more around how um how work flows through an organization and and using kind of agile delivery methods very interesting read as well but but in a similar story format all made up of course but but um yeah we're checking out all right guys we leave it there we talk again in a couple of weeks take well, care thanks again Aoife yeah. have no a worries. good one guys thanks bye 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 Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. And it will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far, and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.